threat of disaster is never pleasant. Welcome to the Casual Preppers Podcast. These safety measures are essential. The only place for prepping, survival, and entertainment. This will be your source of survival instructions and information. Every member of the family must be coached in the business of survival. Here are your hosts, Cam and Kobe. Welcome to the podcast, Cameron. Thank you. I'm very excited today. Yeah. Uh, we got a guy on who is very knowledgeable in all things preparedness. Extremely knowledgeable. Survival, EMPs, like all that stuff. Who do we got on today? Yeah, so we have Jonathan Hollerman. Mm-hmm. You should know this name. Yeah, Because um, he is an expert in tons of different things <laughs> related to surviving basically any kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, but he's the world's foremost expert on um, one of the world's most uh, foremost experts on living through a total collapse scenario. Yeah. His survival theory talks a lot about that. And that's one of his mm. books. He's a best selling author. Um, he is a preparedness and survival expert and he's a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also you can go to his website and um, learn how to build your own bug out um, uh, uh, location. Retreat. Retreat. Yeah, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's all about the retreat. But yeah, he served as U.S. Air Force SEER, which is Survival Evasion Resistance Ex- and Escape Instructor. Yeah. And he is like, we've consulted him, consulted with him on um, his expertise with EMPs. Um, mm-hmm. Several times. Yeah. And he's written a paper for um, the Electromagnetic Defense Task Force for the government, and you can access that. So the dude knows his stuff. And he, I mean, he's a fan of history, so mm-hmm. he goes back to see how humans have um, reacted in these scenarios. So, yeah. I mean, he really knows. And I want to, I want to put it out there like this is going to feel like fear mongering mm-hmm. because he puts it st- as straight as it can be, like <laughs> yeah. what we need to worry about. It's and not though; it's really not fear mongering. No, and he but talks you know, about I that. think he can like get really kind of worked yeah. up and like scared about this, but it's real. Like mm-hmm. it's most likely what's going to happen. So um, you need to listen. It's awesome. And he has great information. And you might know him from the Bugging Out podcast series. Uh, He was on one of our episodes there. Yeah, he was. You might remember him. Before we get into this, guys, I got to tell you about Rhino Ready. Mm. Pre-kitted bug out bags are usually ill-equipped one-stop shops that lack the attention to detail of a custom loadout. Not the case over at Rhino Ready, the truest purveyors of kick-ass survival packs and gear badassery. Their founder, Michael, spent years designing a modular bug out bag that combined critical survival supplies with performance build quality. After launching on Kickstarter, it took many sleepless nights tinkering on weight distribution, prototype testing, and in-person manufacturer visits to bring their products to life. They sell an absolute beast of a pack called Companion, which you can get fully kitted or you can just build out the pack however you see fit with your own gear. Look, guys, holidays are coming up. Christmas is coming up. This is a perfect gift for that loved one in your life, I think. So whether it's to supplement your existing setup or a gift for a friend or loved one, you can't go wrong. We have a new code. You guys, so I know we loved that last code, but apparently it got out of control. People loved it too much, (laughs) and it got everywhere. So we're going to go back to the old, original, old, faithful, casual preppers. That's the code. It's what you've been plugging into everything. Yeah, it's what you've been putting at McDonald's, on on the app. Etsy. Yeah, Yeah, just everywhere. government where you pay your water bill. You've you've been putting it everywhere. So it's casual preppers. You're going to go to rhinoready.com. That is R-I-N-O-Ready.com. You're going to get $100 off kitted companions. That's absolutely incredible. It's ridiculous.
ridiculous. I can't believe it's real, but it is real. And you're going to get 25% off everything else in the store and free shipping anywhere in the United States of America. So holy freaking crap. Yeah. Such a perfect ad for this episode because Jonathan Hallerman's very big on the bug out. Yeah, so, yeah, you got to be ready to. You got to have it. Have and the best of the best. And for me, this is again, this is like a perfect supplement to the already the other kits that I have. This is just an extra kit that I can throw in that I know has all the good stuff yeah. that I need. This one just yeah. is like preppy level. Like you look, yeah, you're gonna look way more um, like yeah. slick and like. He, That's why he knows I like it. Doing. Like I like it as a gift because it's sexy. Like, it is you know lot. what I mean? It's it, just it, not like all my junk thrown in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's sexy. Super clean. Yeah. Super easy to I yeah. organize. I like it. I like yeah, it. That's right. Uh, guys, here it is. The man, Jonathan Hollerman. Well, welcome, guys, to the podcast. We're super stoked today because we have a fantastic guest, right, Cameron? We do. We have an awesome guest. Yes. One that's helped us immensely in some of our episodes absolutely and our other podcasts so. you you know him from the bugging out podcast he was featured in an episode this is the man jonathan hollerman welcome to the podcast buddy thanks for having me on guys man we're stoked we're, yeah. we're, we're excited yeah you you have all the knowledge i would like to absorb <laughs> yeah without all the work <laughs> exactly so, yeah. so ho- hopefully you'll give it to us today so uh for our listeners who might not know who you are can you give us a quick like one minute background on uh how you got to where you are today and who you are sure so my background is um i, I was formerly in the military a, a seer instructor it stands for survival evasion resistance and escape I have a company called Grid Down Consulting. Uh, I've worked with over 500 high net worth individuals around the, the country to help them and their families better prepare. Um, number one best-selling author uh, on survival preparedness and experimental psychology. And uh, so for the last probably five years, I've been donating a bunch of my time. I've been invited in uh, taking part in efforts to harden the electric grid. So the the original organization that kind of brought me into this was the Electromagnetic Defense Task Force. General Quas asked me to attend a, a three-day wargaming event. Uh, it was a joint services, uh, military, all your alphabet agencies, the National Security Council, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So I, I got to attend those meetings. Um, they were very enlightening, let's put it that way. And since then, I've been... Involved in a bunch of different organizations, uh, InfraGuard, Secure the Grid Coalition, I'm members of those two organizations. I was, I sit on the board of advisors for Impact America. And as of the last about year and a half, I am the deputy director at the U.S. Task Force on National and Homeland Security. That's a congressional advisory board under the EMP commission. And so, I, you know, I was working with uh, Dr. Peter Price organization for a while. And when he passed away, I was asked to come in and... Uh, uh, be deputy director. So that is kind of my background. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me about my SEER experience and it's about survival and evasion. But to be honest with you, most of the takeaway I take from that is more of dealing with starvation and human desperation. And that led me down a path to write uh, a report for the EDTF called Grid Down Death of a Nation, the psychology and physiology of human desperation, starvation, and living uh, without rule of law in a prolonged grid down event. So that 122-page white paper report, whatever you want to call it, is available for free at our website, the EMPTaskForce.us, and you can download that for free. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, 
I, I finished reading survival theory too earlier this year. Right. Um, and there was a lot of that information in it. It felt like, I mean, it was a fantastic book. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read it, you need to go get survival theory and then survival theory too, because man, it is an eye opener. Um, some scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, people think they understand what it's going to look like in those types of scenarios, but I, I think a lot of people are, you know, underplaying it a little bit after, (laughs) after reading this. Yeah, that's where his history takes a takes a big. A lot of people aren't students of history. Yeah, and when they do look at historical accounts of calamities, mm-hmm. it's typically looking at it from a thirty thousand foot view, yeah. right? And it's it's looking at the response and how the governments responded. Uh, I include a lot of historical narrative from true starvation periods of time, whether that be the Bengal famine, the Holomador, the Chinese famine, uh, the, the kind of the conditions in the Warsaw ghetto. And, and I'm, and I put firsthand historical accounts, like firsthand experience in there. Selko Bugovich is another good one. And it's, it's tough to read, you know, it's, it is, it's difficult to read. It was, <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, I, I'd come out of the room after reading it, looking at my wife like, I, I need a minute. <laughs> I, I, I got to digest what I just read because it, it's rough. But I think it's I think it's good to 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 read and to digest because, um, you know, I, I, I think it opens your eyes to to what could happen and what maybe might happen at some point. So uh, to get your your head right, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> a lot of people are like, ah, it's not going right. to be that bad. Everything's going to be fine. You know, um, people people generally are good, and, and that they generally are until you get into a situation where uh, things get a little crazy, right? It's exactly right. And so it's called normalcy bias. People mm-hmm. want to make their plan of actions with today's humankind, you know, in their mm-hmm. in their plan of action. And you have to realize that people are going to change radically. The human population that you're going to interact with are going to change radically. And, uh, you know, I I used to read a lot of preparedness fiction and I, I don't anymore because a lot of the authors, they just don't understand that concept. And if you look at the studies, you look at the Minnesota starvation experiment from the 40s, you look at history and you get a completely different picture. So I, I know... I, I am very pro having a group, mm-hmm. a mutual assurance group, however you want to call it. And I, I think that's something that every person should look forward to. But you also have to go into that with an understanding that those people in that group may not act, function, react, and think the same way they do today. So, right. Man. Yeah. I like to eat, like you said, with history. I mean, I think nowadays um, we see a lot of history just being like wiped off. It's like, it's not important. We live in a different time, and like I think that's I mean, history repeats itself. I mean, it's, it's yeah, been exactly. said over and over, and I think that's awesome that you've used that. I mean, it does, even though it terrifies people and a little bit. That, that's an important point because I think people think that like we've evolved as a species uh, yeah, past the Viking and days, above. And, and we haven't. Yeah. The the only reason we, we live the way we do is because we've had two hundred years of peace and prosperity in this country. Nobody really starves to death uh, mm-hmm. anymore. There's there's police, there's laws, and there's consequences for your actions. But in certain scenarios, whether it be a very, very serious uh, pandemic, like where 20 or 30% of the population is dying as opposed to 0.003% or yeah. whatever it is, uh, or if we see a nation- nationwide grid down event, 
it will return to to Mad Max date Viking. You know, the biggest guy on the block with yeah. the biggest gun or the biggest clubs going to win the day. And people just think like we we can't get back to that. And, yeah. and, and we absolutely can. That's just the depravity of man. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like I, <clears throat> civilization I is a very thin facade that we're, you know, we were just kind of teetering. <laughs> yeah. You were right there all the time. It just takes one thing to really just, you know, pull that off and uh, back into Mad yeah. Max, like you it's said. It's just gone so long with yeah. in, in peaceful, comfortable, I mean, modern day Rome, right? <laughs> That's what I always feel oh, like. Oh, man, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> All right, man. Thank you so much for being here. We got five questions for you. We're we're excited. Question number one, um, and this is kind of a general question. A lot of our listeners would would definitely like to hear your take on this. If you could give advice to people out there who want to be more prepared for all the crazy things going on in the world, and there's plenty of them to look at, obviously, what three things do you think they should start with, and why would you start with those things? Uh... The first one would be more education. We kind of hit it on that a second ago, but uh, kind of more education, less prepping, mm-hmm. um, making making a reading more books and understanding humankind and understanding the operating environment you're going to be operating this plan of action in before you start making a plan, yeah. uh, which would go to the kind of the, my second point is operating in fear in the preparedness spheres, the prepper spheres on YouTube. Uh, there are a lot of companies that, the pedal and fear mongering to sell you some long-term food plan that they're sponsored by. Right. Right. So there's a lot of kind of fear porn, if you want to call it that. Uh, so I'm sitting here and if you read my books, I mean, don't get it twisted. It's <laughs> horrific. Yeah. And this is something you should be very concerned and anxious about. But I always tell people don't operate your plan of action in fear um, because you're going to make bad choices. If you, if you do so a lot of times, if you operate your plan of action in fear, you just sprint out and you do X, Y, Z, as opposed to trying to maybe going back to my first point, understanding the threat, understanding what world I'm going to be operating in. And um, I guess the third point I would say is food is probably the most important thing. And it's one of the things I see. I mean, I've got clients with two, $300,000 worth of guns, mini guns. I mean, you get on the list mm-hmm. uh, and they've got multi-million dollar facilities that we built or that, that I've gone and done analysis of, and they've got $10,000 worth of food. They've got four months worth of food. Yeah. So don't underestimate food in your preparedness plan of action, because what even outside of a grid down event, a massive pandemic that, you know, the, the government's not going to have to shut, if, if 20 or 30, 40% of the people are dying from a future bioweapon or pandemic, the government will have to shut the country down. People will stop going to work on their own. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to risk going in and uh, you can see grids collapsing in that environment as linemen start showing up, stop showing up for work, policemen, policemen. you could enter the same type of scenario uh, even without a nationwide grid down event, you could a- end up in a grid down event from another scenario. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, understanding the threats, uh, making sure you're not operating your preparedness in fear and understanding that food is going to be one of the most important things because our food infrastructure today is such a, I mean, it, it it only functions on trillions of electronic signals in this mm-hmm. country. And interstate trucking is a big core of that. And if, if through multiple scenarios, if, if these truckers stop, you got mass rioting and looting around the country or, or people dying 
for whatever reason, big pandemic, grid down event, whatever the case may be, interstate truckers, they're going to stop driving across the country for sure with that kind of risk. And it's going to get worse. It's going to snowball. It's going to get worse. So understanding that all your prep, you can have the best preparations. You can have the best bug out retreat that there is. But if you can't feed the people in your group, and I'll just add one more caveat to that. A lot of people, you know, a lot of the, the clients that I work with, they, they'll buy a, a three-month or a six-month food plan. Well, first off, not understanding that they're probably only getting 40% of the calories that yeah. those serving sizes advertise. That's a big issue. But then the probably one of the the top things that's going to be the downfall of a lot of the a lot of survival retreats and a lot of bug out locations is the fact that they just they're going to end up bringing more people mm -hmm. more extended family members or more people are going to show up and their their food's going to run out a lot faster than they think it will so you know th that would be my three things understanding the threat educating yourself don't operate in fear and understand that food is the most important thing yeah, I love that, Perfect. especially that second one. The don't operate in fear. That's that's been one of our mantras since we started the podcast. Like, like you can learn this stuff and you can prepare without being a fear monger and without yeah. like spiraling down into those fear YouTube channels because we I think we all know who we're talking about. There's some very specific ones that do this every other um, video that they put out. It's like the world's ending tomorrow, guys. Be careful. Here it right. comes, right? It's constant. It's it's over and over again. But you can talk about these things and you could talk about preparedness without doing that, right? And um, I think that's just so important because I think we've all gotten, we've all had that uh, moment where we're like, oh crap, this is happening. I better run out and do this. I better run out yep. and do this. Instead of, you know, having a level head, you know, say, okay, what's my plan? What what do I need to do? I don't need to go out and buy, you know, 30,000 rounds of 5.56 today. I'm going to be okay. Let's <laughs> let's just like chill out. And you know what I mean? It's it's something that Cam and I talk about constantly. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I think that like just the point of educating yourself because you can go both ways. It's like mm -hmm. you can go into the, the fear and the, <clears throat> you know, and, and just go to the extreme or you can say in that normalcy bias, mm -hmm. you're just like, it's not going to get that bad. So- you really do have to, like you said, educate yourself on what probably will happen and just take it easy and take it slowly and get things ready, you know? Yeah. That's hard, though. It does. It gets you get a little bit paranoid sometimes when you start There's really a ditch on both sides of the road, road there on the fear thing. Mm -hmm. I would say in the preparedness sphere, uh, fear is peddled a lot. And, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, it's for financial gain. That's the reason I've never accepted a sponsor. I've had, you know, many companies, food companies and whatnot try and sponsor me. But I just don't want to be affiliated with that because my message is very fearful. My when I when I put the evidence forward of how bad a nationwide grid down event is, it is horrifically scary. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just don't want it to. Make Looks money like on the on back that. end of that, if, if, if that makes sense. But oh, yeah. on the flip yeah, side does. of that, it totally I think, makes sense. At the government meetings that I go to, you know, I was down in Texas here this summer with Senator Bob Hall. We're trying to get, we were trying to get legislation to harden the grid in Texas done this summer. We've got multiple states we're working with at the task force here. The problem is, is the government and the the a lot of these meetings that I attend, the FBI's InfraGuard and 
there are no fear-mongering zones. My message will not be be heard. I, I don't get, I, I, they asked me to attend and they asked me to, you know, speak up and share my opinions while I'm there, but they don't give me speaking engagements because mm-hmm. my message is scary. And the, the people that need to be scared are our government officials <laughs> and the electric utility executives to get off their rear end and harden our grid before the, something like this happens. But that's the one area where we can't fear monger. So it's, yeah. it's kind of frustrating on that end. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. And speaking of that, going on to question two, um, that's kind of, you're known for understanding the EMP threat probably better than most people, almost yeah. anybody. So can you tell us, I mean, what are some of the things that you see that preppers get wrong when it comes to an EMP event? Because I'm sure there's plenty of things that you see that you roll your eyes or, or maybe we're just not understanding like we should. Sure. So the preparedness community has been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the original guys that I was reading 15 years ago, is a guy named Mel Tappan from the seventies. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the kind of the mentality all the way going through Y2K and there was a lot of in in the 50s, there was a lot of civil defense and nuclear wars coming any day. So the the idea of preparedness has has been around in the the preparedness community. The problem is, is it hasn't eat it hasn't evolved alongside our reliance on technology. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that was what I mentioned earlier that every aspect of every aspect of human life today revolves around electricity. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the EMP threat; it's solar flare, it's cyber attack bringing down the grid, it's a physical attack on the grid. Uh, there's and so it's easy to dis. Some people will dismiss mm-hmm. each one of those as, hey, this is a low probability of that. But when you start adding up the probabilities from all four of those, especially since we seem to be racing full speed ahead trying to enter World War III as a nation, uh, these things become a lot more real. And their probability, if you add all four together, I I firmly, firmly believe in my lifetime, in your lifetime, we'll probably see some kind of at least regional, if not a national grid down event, whether that be from EMP, a solar flare, cyber attack on the grid or something of that nature. The biggest misunderstanding that people don't get in the kind of the preparedness community absolutely misses is is the effects of desperation and starvation on a human body. Mm-hmm. I, I just, this is something that I, I've been beating my head on and I'm a one trick pony in the preparedness community, but I've spent my life work. I've I've read dozens and dozens of historical books. I, the Minnesota Starvation Experiment um, manual is like 1200 pages. I've uh, Milgram studies. I, I've read uh, Dr. Philip Zimbardo. He's a, he's a great guy to read on this. The, the Lucifer effect. He has a book on how good people turn evil. Uh, and, and there's just, there's so much information on the threats from other people in a grid down event in, in a, in a starvation event. And I don't mean the first, I'm not talking about a short term one or two week event. <clears throat> I'm talking a long term event or even a pandemic that shuts the country down and, and, and kills a lot of people. A lot of the preparedness community, they, they have these, you know, Oh, you know, just hang out in, in your suburban neighborhood, talk to your neighbors. And, and there's, there are logistical issues that you can drive a Mack truck through on how that's not going to end well for you. And the fact that you're the only one with long-term food in your basement and the other 30 people on your cul-de-sac don't have any long-term food, they're going to be eating your kid's food. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make it to harvest season. Uh, you, you're misunderstanding the millions of people, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands that you're outnumbered by. There's a lot of alpha male, you know, 
a lot of it comes from Hollywood and zombie apocalypse movies. And, you know, you're just going to shoot the, the zombie hordes that are rushing your house, which, by the way, isn't bulletproof. And, you know, well, we're going to we're going to garden in our backyard, which like if you think all your neighbors aren't going to figure that out really quick, there's just <laughs> there's a lot of really, really bad preparedness information. And and the people that put it out there, I, I believe, are a lot of times are are well-meaning, but it all comes back to, again, a misunderstanding. If you start making plans of actions and you start making plans without understanding the effects on the populace and how everything's going to fall apart so fast and way further than you think it is, and this idea that you're just going to hang around in town and everything's going to be okay, you, you know, it's... I, I get a lot of pushback because... Well, I don't. I don't know how far I want to go down the road. Bugging in versus bugging out. If you yeah. haven't seen it, go watch the uh, the thing we did with you guys. You know, yeah. with you guys. You guys put a video out there. Bugging versus bugging out, and uh, you know, I'm sure they can watch that video and kind of get a deeper understanding of why I feel the way I feel on this. Yeah, yeah, man. That this, this that that whole thing with a total grid down scenario. It's it almost seems overwhelming. It's it's hard to know exactly what route to take as a prepper. Um, yeah, it's, is I can't, I just can't imagine if, even if today we had something like, uh, the Carrington event or something happens today, mm -hmm. you know, what would that look like in this? I mean, in your eyes, what, what would it look like for the United States if, if something like the Carrington event went off? Well, we know for a fact, uh, I've, I've worked alongside the EMP commission for a very long time, uh -huh. regardless of what commercial and utility money backed sources and the EPRI report, regardless of what they say, we know for a fact that a Carrington level s solar storm mm -hmm. CME will take out, will utterly destroy our American electric grid. So the Achilles heel of our country is our high voltage trans transformers. They weigh about 400 tons on average. Mm -hmm. There's about 3000 of them around the country. And every year we replace about 12 of them and they come from uh, South Korea and Germany. <laughs> and China recently, but that's a whole different topic. Yeah. But so basically the, what people don't understand is the, today, today's time frame to replace a high voltage transformer is 24 to 36 months. You're not Holy getting the first crap. transformer. And we have 3,000 of them when they build And we have about 12 coming from those two countries a year. Mm -hmm. uh, they take months to get from the port to the location. That's in normal times with normal equipment and and. and being able to pick up a phone call and call some linemen and, and electric utility engineers to to install the thing. People don't understand. We're not getting those trans... You're not getting the lights back on for at least two years if wow. one if a massive cyber... Or I'm sorry, if a massive solar flare happens. You're just not. So you're talking about two years without electricity as a country, and we just don't have the life skills no. to live like we did uh, 150, 200 years ago. The Congressional EMP Commission has told Congress, if this were to happen, we'd lose 90% of our population in the first year, disease, societal unrest, violence, Unbelievable. and death and destruction. It's it's going to be, and, and uh, you know, another important point on this is the fact that, you know, we talked about possibly entering World War Three. Mm -hmm. We know from classified intelligence that Every nation's war doctrine, every enemy nation, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and every other nuclear nation, even our allies, first strike doctrine for World War III is a EMP attack. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact. 
we're, we're still focusing on building the fastest jets and the biggest aircraft carriers and the, the heaviest tank for a, a war from previous generations that's not going to be fought in World War III. They can win the war on day one by taking down our electric grid without a single bullet being fired. So why would they not do that? People are still concerned about all-out nuclear war when it only takes one nuke to take down our entire electric grid, and you win the battle on day one. So this is something that people need to consider. They need to educate themselves on this threat, on Mm -hmm. what's coming, and what the aftermath of that looks like. Yeah, man, that is that, that is, makes you feel good. That's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, you see what happened just with COVID, with our our shipping and our delivery. Like, w- you know what I mean? Can you imagine if the entire grid is down? Yeah, what happens there? Like, nothing moves. Just like you said, what, mm-hmm. like the whole fact of transport, like the food's being produced, but it didn't have anywhere to go, yeah. so they're just burying it. Mm-hmm. And like, I I don't know, weird stuff. Terrifying. But in an EMP, nothing works. The canning facilities don't work. Yeah. The distribute everything's automated. Everything's computerized. All those computers are going to be fried. So even if you could have a backup generator at a canning facility, the, all the equipment today is automated and has tons of microchips all throughout yeah. those factories. None of that stuff works. So the interstate trucking, even if you did have it, you couldn't get it anywhere. But our our food infrastructure today. Uh, when you swipe a can of beans at the grocery store, there's an electronic signal from that cash register that goes to the distribution center for that grocery store and says, put another can of beans on the next truck. Mm -hmm. The distribution center sends an electronic signal to the canning facility, put another can of beans on the next truck. The canning facility sends uh, an electronic signal to the farm in Mexico. We need more beans or peas on the next, you know, another truckload of beans or peas. That all, our entire food infrastructure is called just in time delivery. And Mm -hmm. it's, trillions of electronic signals every day that makes this whole thing function. And if you take, if you get rid of those electronic signals, all the food stops where it's at. When your grocery store is empty, it will never get more food there. And I I literally, I know of some people that live completely off grid and live off of what they grow, but I've never met anybody. I, you know, 99.999% of the American population relies on the grocery for store sure. for their food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, man, it's just, I, it's really hard to wrap your head around that. And I think, like you said, I think people just take that as, ah, this isn't realistic. Like, there's yeah. just no way. But it makes sense when you break down all those little things that it could easily, I mean, that it easily will turn into that. Yeah. So one thing... um, the next like question that we had is um, we talk a lot about bugging out, bugging in. I know that like we were saying that and, and you helped us out on the bugging out scenario, but for most people, I don't think they feel that that's a possibility or, you know, something realistic that they can do. So as a survival retreat consultant, I know you do that. Um, what advice do you have for the average Joe like us and like just, you know, the average American that doesn't, have the money to live in one of those missile silos in Arizona or wherever. <laughs> like, what do you? Well, what I'm do not you affiliated with them. I yeah. think <laughs> I think the first rule of preparedness is keeping your pre- preparation secret. So all yeah. those 
blue collar or white collar resorts that they sell a timeshare in for those things are going to be one of the first to fall because there's lots of people like you mentioned that can't afford a survival retreat on their own. And there are, I I know a guy that runs one of the largest prepper forums on the internet and he's had to shut down multiple forums of groups talking about taking over these locations. So I would not recommend going to any location that's been publicly advertised on the internet. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, bugging out and like for the, the average Joe that doesn't have a lot of money. So first, I want to be perfectly blunt. If you don't have, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, I believe that you're going to be a good steward of your money and not cash in your college fund and, again, operate out of fear. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, your wife's going to divorce you because you spent all your money on prepping instead of taking care of your family. So I get that. Uh, but you, you need to understand that, in, in my professional opinion, and if you read my, again, it's 122-page grid-down defamation report, you're going to see that surviving in an in a urban environment is not going to work in these scenarios. Again, if it's a short-term disaster, if it's a national, if it's a whatever you call it, like a hurricane mm-hmm. or a, a flood or a tornado, yeah, sure, that stay, stay home. But... If we're talking about a long-term event, your chances of survival in a close proximity to a lot of people is is very low, very very low. My, in my opinion, your best chance of survival, the, your number one threat in this type of environment is other people. If you can survive the first year, if you can get tucked away somewhere and have enough food and resources to live throughout the first year, your chances of long-term survival drastically low go through the roof. So when you're talking about the bugging out versus bugging in, again, the preparedness community, they paint this as a binary choice. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the the money, if you don't have two or three, $10 million to build a big off-grid survival retreat with 3,000 acres somewhere, then your only option is staying at your house where all your stuff is, where all your food is, which is the first mistake. Um, but you have all your stuff there. That's your place of safety. That's your place of sanity. It's always been your safe space. Your your home is your castle. Uh, you have that on one side. And then the other side that they paint is, you know, the movie The Road. You're just going to wander around the open road with your kids and fight cannibals and get ambushed all the time. I, I reject that binary choice. I believe there are, if you put your head to the task, And with the proper amount of planning, there are other options besides bugging in or just randomly wandering around the open road or trying to live off the national forest, which again is a a really bad idea. In my book, Survival Theory 2, I give five or six different ways for somebody that's on literally very little or to no prepping budget um, plans like very descriptive plans of actions on what you can do to get out of the city and get to a survival retreat. Now, with that said, I'm not sitting here going to tell you that they're fantastic. They're they're wonderful and you're going to feel really confident or you're going to feel really like, hey, this is great. I, I feel totally secure. But the fact of the matter is you don't have the money to build a place to, to tuck yourself away for a year. So you have to do what you have to do. But I do give five different recommendations. Uh, I'm not trying to be coy here, but they're very in-depth and they would take probably a half hour to get through each one Mm -hmm. to to kind of explain them properly. So uh, check that out. But whatever you do, don't put your head in the sand. So the opposite end of the fear-mongering spectrum are 
there's a lot of well-meaning preparedness guys out there saying, hey, you know, you live in the suburban HOA neighborhood in Atlanta, you know, just on the outskirts of Atlanta. Don't worry about it. Spray paint your windows and doors, throw some trash out in the front, build a six foot privacy fence in your backyard and garden. You're going to be just fine. I reject that. Like the, the kind of the, I call it an urban prepping myth. So again, Urban prepping for localized disasters, fine, sure. But if we're talking specifically, so we need to clarify that, we're talking specifically about a long-term catastrophic total SHTF event. The the idea that you're going to ride it out in town with tens of thousands, you're going to be fighting every, bullets go two ways in a in, in a fight. A lot of the preparedness fiction I read, like the, everybody always wins, the good guy wins, Um it's just not, it's not going to go that way. So uh, again, this is a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. And I realize that I'm giving a different opinion than many of the, 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 the prepper experts, the urban prepping experts on YouTube, but, but they just don't understand human nature and they don't understand starvation and they don't understand what this thing's going to look like when the time comes. Yeah, I like that. And I like the fact that you you did specifically say, look, we're talking about a very long-term catastrophic SHTF yeah. situation because there are mm-hmm. there are different things, different plans for different situations, right? So yeah, bugging in in, you know, if it's a hurricane like you said or a short-term disaster, it's definitely doable, but once you get into this like catastrophic EMP total grid down, whatever it might be, totally different story with a totally different plan that you've got to have, right? Mm, absolutely. And so my my company motto is prepare for the worst, hope for the best, let God do the rest. A lot of people that so there's different there's different versions of prepping. Again, we talked mm-hmm. about it. There's people that are prepping for a three-day, mm-hmm. you know, FEMA's not gonna show up for three days uh, after a hurricane in Florida or New Orleans or something to that effect. But that's just common sense. If you live down there and you don't have some, you know, food and water, bottled water stored up for that kind of event when you live there or in Tornado Alley in Kansas or Oklahoma, you know, that's just common sense. I don't really consider that prepping. You would but think there that are, was common sense. Yeah, you would think. Sometimes you would not think so, so much. Right. Yeah. Well, the government, FEMA tells every American to have three days of food and water. Yeah. So if the government can figure it out and you haven't done so yet, that's that's yeah. on you. It's definitely so a problem. Yeah. We have to, <laughs> right. We're giving the government a lot of, <laughs> yeah. you know, kudos here. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, but, so we, the, the, the big thing is, is understanding that if you, so, so this, this is something else that happens. People. Uh, what I see with a lot of people is the first thing that scares them for prepping, whether that be that might have been COVID or Y two K or or a grid down event or this or that, they always latch on to um, a financial. They always latch on to it, and then they just they kind of stick their head around that particular problem, that particular scenario, and they make all their plans based on that scenario. Now, what you have to understand is that the EMP, solar flare, cyber, serious pandemic where most people are, you know, a lot of people are dying from it. The Your plan of action, if you only plan for, you know, a two-week event or a one-month event, if that's your level of planning and then we get hit by a one- or two-year event, you're, you, you're, you're in really tough shape. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to make it. 
yeah. right? So my what I tell people is, is wrap your head around the long-term event. Even if you can't afford to do everything you need to do, mm-hmm. make your plans around that slowly and steadily. And if something shorter happens, it's a walk in the park for you because your mindset's already on a long-term event. But if you're only focusing on a you know two-week or a, a two-month event, and then it ends up being a two-year event, you you just you're not going to make it. Yeah. yeah. And I rea- so I realized that the two-year event is a lot harder to wrap your mind around. Yeah. It's a lot harder to plan for. But you need to get your head in that space. Yeah. Before you start. A good example. So real quickly, a good example of this is a lot of people that live in very urban environments store all of their food, ammo. And, and supplies in the basement of their house. And it locks them into that location because when a big event happens, they don't have the ability to take all that stuff and they're sure not gonna leave it behind because they just bought all that stuff for the for the apocalypse, right? right. Uh, so my recommendation is not to have, don't hem yourself in that way. Even if you can't afford a survival retreat, if you have an uncle Charlie with a rural farm somewhere, it's a better location than the city you're living in. And let's say he's a, uh, a flaming leftist is like, you're just, everything's peachy and <laughs> you're crazy Charlie. for buying all this stuff and he doesn't want to talk about it. Fine. Rent a climate controlled storage unit close to his house, put all your stuff there, all your survival supplies and food. And then when you show up at uncle Charlie's, you can like put your finger in his chest and be like, you were wrong. I was right. And he's been more than happy for you to bring all the food and supplies into his farm and, you know, help him. So these are kind of the concepts I'm talking about is like, it's not binary. Mm -hmm. Just don't accept the idea that it's either bugging in or living out on the open road and wandering around and going to end up dead some point, which is true if you do, if you go that scenario, but uh, have a location to go to. And um, even if you don't have an uncle Charlie's farm, I, like I said, I paint four or five other scenarios where I still recommend your long-term food and, and and almost all your supplies minus your your guns that you need to get out of town to bug out, to have that stuff in a climate-controlled storage unit close to the location you're planning to bug out to. And that way you're not hemmed in to, to staying in that one location. Yeah, that's perfect. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like, yeah, people just give up on the, the plan of even leaving. They're just like, well, I'll just take my chances. And they haven't even gotten to the point of even trying to think yeah. beyond that. And a lot of scenarios are going to force you out, you know? Yeah. I think well, being, you being prepared, you, you have trying to get to a, a state of preparedness. You got to get creative in a lot of different ways. I think so. I like that. Yeah. Just get creative. You know, you, you can make something work. Um, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, okay, now we're getting to the point where we have the fun questions, Jonathan. Uh, these are the two questions <laughs> we ask everybody that comes on, so get ready. Number four, question number four. What conspiracy theory do you find the most interesting or entertaining <laughs> and why? Aren't they all coming true at this point? I mean, yeah, that's that is true. <laughs> right. That is true. Ma- yeah. Many of them aren't. They're no longer anymore. conspiracies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're just so happening. Say the, say the question one more time. I just want to understand the nature of the question. Sure. What conspiracy theory do you find the most interesting or entertaining, and why? Okay, so I'm going to pick the entertaining side of it. Yes, yeah, uh, as opposed yep. to interesting. Good. Um, so. The one I find most, well, there's two. So 
I don't buy into a lot of conspiracy theories, okay? So uh -huh. most conspiracy theories, I, I have a hard time with giving groups or <laughs> the government kudos for having this grand conspiracy theory when stupidity and power and money is, is, a, is an easier answer. But the most entertaining one for me, because I have a pilot's license and I've done pilot training for short takeoff and landing for extracting clients, mm -hmm. um, it would be the chemtrails one. Nice. It's just, <laughs> it's so... It's so bad. And I know there's people that oh. firmly believe it. And there's oh, like, like we've been chewed like, out before. I, oh, yeah. So many times. And I'm sure I probably will on this one, too. But <laughs> yeah. so, my, so part of that is my dad's an aircraft mechanic. Mm -hmm. uh, he he retired an aircraft mechanic after 20 or 25 in. years <laughs> for, for U.S. Airways. And his job was to uh, was um, um, what's it called? X-raying different mm. parts of the plane for stress fractures, right? So he's oh, literally yeah. seen every square inch of an aircraft carrier, or yeah. not an aircraft carrier, an, air, an airliner, right? Yeah. A, a, a large jets. And, you know, when I brought this up to him, he laughed. He said, you know, there's, I've never seen anything that would, would lead you to that. So Holding the part of it is, is like- Dump <laughs> chemicals across yeah. the entire sky for miles and miles. You would have to have so many tens of thousands of aircraft mechanics on board with this conspiracy. Mm -hmm. There would have to be so many people involved that are being paid off or whatever. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's kind of laughable to me. So again, if you do, the side, I've seen it in the air flying. I've seen the... The, the the contrails, not chemtrails, mm -hmm. start and stop in a plane. And it's, it has to do with temperature and humidity. Yeah. Uh, all that plays effect in how long those things stay up in the air. You, you would say that. Some, You're part of the conspiracy. That's what's going on. I am. And <laughs> <laughs> someone sent me a video a while back uh, that was very compelling. I'm not going to – I don't want to give the guy any kind of – uh, I don't want people going and even watching this guy, but it, he was a big name. I mean, he probably had close to a million subscribers. Oh, wow. And it was this video on chemtrails. And I watched it, and I was like, nah, they're making some some valid points, this and that. And this was before I was a pilot and before yeah. I understood everything. And so I did just some basic Google searching. And one of the big things that he had was like, we have this new insider. That was like the label of the video. This new inside, you know, we have, we finally have the proof. And it was this big, huge uh, like uh, airliner plane, but inside were all these metal tanks and hoses, and <laughs> and it was like, and it was like we finally got it. We have an insider, and I did like a, the basic amount of research. And that plane, that video came from a firefighting. It was a specific. It was a firefighting plane, yeah. right? And it, yeah. that video came from a documentary. Like he just hijacked the footage. Unbelievable! And I'm like, yeah. If you have to lie and, and lie to people to make your point, I'm not going to trust anything you have to say, yeah. right? Uh, and then the, the other thing is, is like, oh, there's so many of them that compare, you know, I, I've been, I'm 70 years old and 50 years ago, you know, we never used to see as many. It's like, well, there's 50 times more planes in the sky today than there were 50 years ago. So <laughs> That's true. That kind of checks out. a few out. more airports <laughs> you know than there I mean? used to be. Common sense. So that would be the most entertaining to me, uh, just because, again, I understand the science behind it. Yeah. So I, I'm not dismissing cloud seeding, yeah. but people get them confused because mm -hmm. cloud seeding is something that for real go governments yeah. and you know for climate change. So I'm against that. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but what you're seeing 
across the sky on a given day. That's just contrail. So that would be the most entertaining. To me, the biggest conspiracy that I believe in is, <laughs> and this will probably get a lot of people upset, is dispensationalism as far as Christianity goes. And mm. in Darby in the 1930s, and uh, a vast majority of Christians believe in dispensationalism. Uh, I'm more coven covenantal reformed. And uh, just seeing how for 1800 years, like that concept didn't even didn't even exist. Where the Bible's written in different dispensations. Right, I'm not gonna yeah. get deep into it, but that was that was literally created in 18, 1830, and probably 85% of the church believes that today. So that that's that would be to me one of the biggest ones that I see that I believe the opposite. That I'm on the conspiracy yeah. side. <laughs> nice, man. That's fun. Yeah, the, those freaking chemtrails. The, There's um, gonna be a bunch of people googling dispensationalism after this. <laughs> yeah, I'm googling it over here right now. You can't yeah. see me. <laughs> okay, last question, and this is the most important question of the entire okay. day. What is your favorite movie of all time, and why? Mm. It doesn't have to go along with any of the this. road. I'm guessing y you did mention that a few times. <laughs> uh, did you ask me the best movie or the worst movie? No, of all time? your favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your favorite movie. My of all favorite time. movie of all time. I really like good versus evil movies. Okay. I, I really like like Lord of the Rings would mm. would be. Like, uh, you know, where good conquers over evil. Lord, the first three Lord of the Rings I, were yeah. fantastic. But if you're asking me my all-time mm -hmm. throughout history favorite movie, I'm going to have to go with Legends of the Fall. Oh, uh, man, Legends that is a great, great choice. Yeah. And so it probably has the best soundtrack in history, yep, in I my opinion. This, yep. It's it, <laughs> it's a soundtrack that I listen to when I'm writing and I'm, I'm working. Uh, the cinematography in that movie, Montana, was fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, so from a young age, I've always wanted to live in and retire in Montana. The raw emotion in that movie and the you know the the ending. I'm not gonna give any spoilers. The ending. I just love that old timey like homestead ranching yeah. type. It's excellent. Yeah. So that that's my favorite movie of all time. Wow. Yeah. That's a good choice. That's a great. That's choice. That's a hard to beat. Yeah. One. No. Yep. I had I had the soundtrack in um, high school. Yep. And I listened to it. Well, after high school, I still have it actually on a mini disc player of all things. <laughs> <laughs> You're ancient, man. I know. I recorded the whole thing on there illegally, yeah. probably. And um, yeah, I still listen to it once yeah. in a while. That's, that's a, a great, great film. Yeah, I that's love a good that one. one. Man, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, we really appreciate your time. We really appreciate you uh, lending your expertise to us and the audience. Yeah. Uh, before you go, though, can you please tell everybody who's listening or watching, where can they find you and, and all the things that you have going on? Sure. So you can, uh, privately, you can reach out to me. My personal website is griddownconsulting.com. And uh, again, I would highly, highly recommend everybody on that webpage uh, under the resources tab, you can download my 122 page grid oh, nice. down destination, the psychology and physiology of starvation and human desperation. So I, I really recommend every preparedness person needs to read that document. I'm giving you away for free. If you want it in paperback, you do, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you do have to pay for it there. But download that document and share it amongst as, as many people as you can to kind of wake them up to the, the different grid down threats and the aftermath. On Amazon, you can find all my books. I've written two preparedness books, Survival Theory 1, Survival Theory 2. Uh, Survival Theory 2 lays out some of the suggestions I mentioned on kind of bugging out on a budget or if you if you have no resources i wrote three fiction books the the emp series uh starts out with the story of survival 
And then corporately, uh, join the fight. Uh, we have to wake up the, the American population and we have to wake up the government and convince them to, to harden the electric grid regardless of how hard the, the electric utilities are fighting against us. So go to securethegrid.com, uh, uh, go to emptaskforce.us, uh, support our organizations. If you want to join in the fight, email us and, you know, we'll, we'll give you something to do. So Beautiful. Uh, That's awesome, but, yeah. Yeah, and, and you're on Instagram as well, right? Oh yeah, I'm on Instagram at Grid Down Prepper. Yeah, uh, Facebook, which I'm not, I, I'm not on there long mm -hmm. uh, or much. Uh, I have a Patreon, so I, I have a Patreon following that I, awesome. I give regular updates to. We talk about current events. I do a lot of spreadsheets and stuff for my Patreon followers, and you can find me there just at Jonathan Hollerman. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah, I can't recommend his stuff enough. I've read both of the survival theories. They're fantastic. Really, really good information. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you um, and stay survived. Yeah. As always, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, and let God do the rest. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs>